You are tuned into 91.3 WVKR, Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. We just heard Save the Monarch, new release by John Hall off his latest solo work called Reclaiming My Time. It was released May 13th of 2021. We just heard Save the Monarch, which uh, was done with Dar Williams, who does a beautiful accompaniment, and the video on YouTube was just released yesterday. Highly recommend taking a look at it. So let's take a listen right now. Let's get them on the phone. John? Hey, Rita. Hey, hi. Thank you for, for being here today. I'd like to do a brief introduction, if I may. And I'll start off I'll start off by saying singer, songwriter, activist, and co-founder of the band Orleans. John Hall has written countless songs, including songs for Janis Joplin, Millie Jackson, Ricky Skaggs, Bonnie Raitt, Shaka Khan, just to name a few. He is co-founder of the legendary band Orleans, who is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. John was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, representing the New York 19th District. He chaired the Subcommittee on Veterans Disabilities and authored the Veterans Claims Modernization Act of 2008, which passed in both the House and the Senate and signed into law by President George W. Bush. John released another solo project this past year in 2021 titled Reclaiming My Time and Orleans recently released their first Christmas album. And with that, a warm welcome back to Local Motion, John Hall. Thank you so much, Rita. It's good to be back with you again. And, uh, and I, ha- uh, I have to tell you, do you know the last time you and I were on air together? I'm trying to remember. I remember it like could- it was yesterday. It was the day after the 2016 election. Uh huh. Well, that was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like to put a positive spin on things. Yes, you do, and and you did that day, and um, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, I remember you sitting here, and I just thought it's so odd that of all days, I had you booked the day after election day, and um, mm-hmm. you know. Things work out sometimes for a reason. Yeah, they definitely do. I can't say over the 300 shows that I've done, I've ever spoken to a musician who's also been a congressman. So, I th- <laughs> you, would, you would have to be talking to Sonny Bono to do that. I, it's, yeah. That's impossible now. That so. is absolutely impossible. So, um, yeah, yeah. So lots to talk about with you, John. You've you've really this beautiful video too that you uh, released yesterday with uh, Dar Williams, "Save the Monarch," up on YouTube. I highly recommend people taking a a look at that. Tell me about that song a little bit, if you would. Well, um, you know, I've always written songs about social and environmental issues and political sometimes, uh, and this is one. There, there's just so much news. If you follow the news, there's uh, so much news about different species in trouble. Uh, there was something a couple of days ago about the Magellanic penguins who are uh, being found just like dead from heat stroke mm. in very southern, what's supposed to be cold islands off the coast of Argentina. Uh, there's uh, There was an article today, actually, I saw about a lot of invertebrates, a lot of uh, slugs and snails and and... You know, little, not the glamorous animals, not the beautiful ones that we like to, like in the video. I mean, there's pictures of condors and pictures of of uh, butterflies and, and you know, a very regal-looking lion and, and so on. But, you know, the web of life, the, the food chain is built on a lot of very sort of unglamorous mm-hmm. animals. And if they start disappearing, which is what the article I read today is saying, then we've got a really serious problem. And, and um, so I just, I always write about what's on my mind and in my heart and whether it's uh, Dance With Me or whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's Welcome Home, the song that is on my record about my, my veteran, my Vietnam vet friend. Um, and, or, you know, it's just whatever topic is on my mind. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wrote this song as a, as a prayer, as a hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, save, uh, save I said it, sat, I've sat in front of a number of biases where behind us it says, in God we trust. And it says that on our money. Yeah. And, and uh, but, so the song says, you in whom we trust, save them from us. 
Right. And it, it's, you know, other than that, it's basically, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a prayer for all the species that, that were in danger of taking down. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Rob Arthur, who did the video, is just a fabulous video, uh, videographer and editor. And, um, he's done videos for the Doobie Brothers. If you saw their in isolation videos when the pandemic first hit, they made, ah. listen to the music in isolation where they're all in different places and they like recorded their parts and shot themselves with phone video. And yeah. Yeah. Sent it in. And then, and they did it one with Sammy Hagar and one with, uh, uh, Peter Crampton, who he, Rob has been the uh, keyboard player and band leader for Frampton for 20 years or so. Oh. So uh, that was the first thing he did was a Frampton video. Gotcha. But, gotcha. but we're lucky with Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the last few videos we did with Orleans and for my record, uh, Reclaiming My Time, Alone Too Long, Lessons, and now the video of, uh, of Save the Monarch, Hero. His work. And, of course, you have the beautiful vo- vocal accompaniment of Dara Williams on there as well. Oh, yeah. It's a duet. She sings the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, um, she's a superstar talent. That's for sure. Her voice is absolutely incredible and so beautiful. So, John, I want to go back in time with you a little bit. A couple of things when I was doing my homework to have this conversation with you that I did not realize. Um, you, well, I... I I knew you were from New York, but you were actually born in Baltimore and raised in Elmira, correct? That's right, yeah. Out in the southern tier. Uh-huh, yeah. And you're you're a three-time National Science Foundation summer scholar and skipped two grades in school. You're one of those, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Guilty as charged. <laughs> That's my, my dad was a scientist. You know, he was a PhD in electrical engineering, physicist, and... Um, and I was expected to kind of follow in his footsteps, and I, I didn't. I, although, you know, people who study these things say that uh, music is uh, very mathematically and scientifically uh, constructed. Uh, sheet music is a graph of pitch versus time. And, um, you know, there's a lot of math that goes. I, I was learning uh, a keyboard starting when I was four and a half. Uh, I started studying uh, classical piano. But later, many years later, when I got involved with the school board in Saugerties uh, as a trustee and later as president of the school board, <clears throat> I saw studies that showed that uh, kids who learn piano when they're five, when they're kindergarten age, uh, will have 30% higher SAT scores in math and languages 11 years later. They, wow. You know, that's when that that early knowledge starts to show up. And I think it's because a kid might be thinking, jingle bells, jingle all the way, instead of three, five, one, two, three. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's all intervals. It's uh, uh, it's third harmony, fourth harmony, fifth harmony. It's 32nd notes, quarter notes, whole notes. Uh, it's, it's math underlying the whole thing. But a child that age doesn't get their, their fear up. Mm-hmm. When kids get a little older, they go, oh, math is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's interesting that music is so intertwined uh, related to, yeah. to mathematics yeah. and languages and, and science. Yeah. You also took up the French horn, did you? I played French horn in high school band and junior high and high school. And um, wonderful instrument. I still have my horn, but I don't get to play it enough to keep my lip in good shape, so uh-huh. I tend not to play it. Yeah, oh, cool that you still have it, though. And then you're self-taught on guitar and bass. What age did you start that? Um, 12 or so. Wow. Uh, my parents bought my older brother a uh, a Sears and Roebuck, you know, silver tone classical guitar, and uh, they asked if he wanted lessons, and he said, no, I'll just give it to John. He'll figure it out and show me. <laughs> so, uh, that's that's kind of what happened. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. And ta- yeah, self-taught. And this, of course, is like before internet and YouTube where you could watch things. You just kind of what, listened to music and fiddled around and learned that way? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, if you have ear training mm-hmm. uh, and, and you know, I mean, piano will teach you the basics. Right. Uh, you know, if you'll know melody, harmony, uh, scale, different scales and different keys major and minor and so on. And and so I knew which notes went together to make a chord. And you can fiddle around on a guitar and find them. 
you know, and then find where the fingering positions are. Um, but yeah, it was before, long before computers were available. I mean, my dad working at Westinghouse on NASA and Defense Department uh, contracts uh, had computers available to him, but they took up a whole room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing in films how large they all were, and yeah, yeah. And you, I love the group name that you had way back in the 60s, Kangaroo? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. that was one of the bands I was in. Uh, we played at... Uh, the Cafe Wine, Greenwich Village. And what kind of music when, did you uh, play? Our own original material. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was kind of rock, you know, it was influenced by everybody from the Beatles to Cream, you know, to um, hodgepodge of things. And uh, the, the guitar player from that band, uh, Teddy Spulios, and I came from playing a gig in Washington, D.C. at Georgetown, uh, jumped on a Greyhound bus and took it uh, uh, to New York City and wound up putting a band together there. Uh, we just happened to arrive at a time when the Greenwich Village, the West Village scene was going really strong. Uh, when we started playing at the Cafe Wa, the Love and Spoonful, John Sebastian and company had just left uh, the Night Owl Cafe to go on the road, road after, I think it was To Believe in Magic was a hit. Wow. And um, the band that replaced them was James Taylor and the Flying Machine. Oh, my goodness. Danny Korchmar on lead guitar and, Joel Bishop O'Brien on drums, and and uh, and uh, you could go around the corner to to uh, the Cafe Gogo and see Jimi Hendrix backing up John Hammond doing yeah. straight blues as Jimmy James and the Blue Flames, and uh, it was just you, you you can't write this stuff. No, uh, just we're extremely lucky. I'm extremely lucky to have been in that place at that time, and and uh, you yeah. know I've caught a few. I mean, being in Woodstock, when I first came to Woodstock, was a similar thing. When I'd be checking out at the supermarket, and Van Morrison be in front of me and Bob Dylan behind me <laughs> in the checkout line. <laughs> but it didn't like, happen what? often. But, you know, How did you things. find Woodstock? Uh, John Simon, who was producing the band, and uh, uh, Janis Joplin with Big Brother and Olden Company and various other uh, people, he was part of uh, sort of the Albert Grossman you know, circle. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Albert Hill built, built his studio. I had done some recording sessions for John, uh, for instance, on um, Seals and Croft's second album, the Down Home album, which we cut in San Francisco at Wally Hyder's studio out there. Um, and I had been on the road with Taj Mahal and made a live record with him and his band with the Four Tubas and with Howard Johnson and company. And, and John Simon was playing piano in that band. And so when... Albert asked John if he wanted to put a band together to play, um, to record in the studio, to be the guinea pigs, as it were, uh, because they were getting the bugs out. And you can't really charge, you know, a couple hundred bucks an hour or whatever it was at that time um, for recording time if the headphones are feeding back or if you plug, you know, the bass into channel 12 when it comes up on channel 24. (laughs) uh, It's like, you know, you have to have, people in there just, you know, r- recording so you can try everything and make sure it works. And we were those people. So uh, um, it was Harvey Brooks, Paul Harris on keyboards, John Simon on uh, piano mainly, and uh, and myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, various times, uh, Wells Kelly was involved. Uh, uh, Paul, um, Greg Thomas, who played with the Fabulous Rhinestones after that, uh, who had played in the Taj Mahal band with me and John Simon. It was uh, it was a really interesting, you know, good collection of musicians, and I sure learned a lot doing it. Yeah, yeah, you uh, did. And is, that's, they were all more experienced than I was. And then that's up here, Woodstock. That's where you formed Orleans in 1972, correct? Right. Yeah. 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 I've gone to Europe. Uh, Michael Lang, uh, the late, uh, rest his soul. Oh yeah. Uh, Michael had asked me to play on uh, the Karen Dalton album, and then to go to Europe with her opening to Santana. And uh, we did that. When I came back from that tour, I I was thinking I'd really love to have my own band. Johanna and I were writing songs already, uh, a lot of songs. We had had Janis uh, Joplin cut Half Moon, and a few, I think, Millie Jackson had cut Toothpaste World. And we had, uh, the Times had done Miss Grace, and we were uh, 
really excited about that. And I thought, well, how about we put together a bunch of really good musicians and do our own material? And and so uh, the personnel changed. I was playing at the uh, Cafe Expresso, and um, and uh, in December, long story. There was you know Howie Wyatt was playing. Uh, a fellow named Buffalo Bill Gelber was playing a bass, and uh, in December everybody else quit for various reasons, and it was me and Wells sitting in our basement out there in Saugerties and us that Johanna and I had bought, and um, and we were sort of going, "What now?" And Wells said, "I know this guy in Ithaca ah. who can play anything, any instrument, and sing really well, and his name is Larry Hoppin." Well, wow. so. I said, call him up. So Wells called Larry. He came down, you know, from Ithaca to Woodstock. And the three of us uh, did our first show just about a year, uh, 15 years ago today. It was, it was late January of 1972. We did our first show under the name Orleans. Wow. And, and where was uh, that first show? I think it was in Oswego. Uh-huh. It was a, a college town up yeah. north. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and we uh, and we had a good show that weekend, and the promoter wanted us back again. Tell me about the but name. How'd you come up with Orleans? We were playing uh, in addition to some reggae and some R and B covers. We didn't have enough of our own songs yet mm-hmm. to do a whole evening, so we were covering some songs, and we were covering Alan Saint Major's Neville Brothers tunes, you know, New Orleans influenced stuff, and. Uh, so that you know, Wells. One day we were sitting around trying to think of names, and he said Orleans, and we, Larry and I both went oh, okay, and uh, that's what it became. And because we had that weekend, we had a good show, and they couldn't book us again without using the same name, uh, or people wouldn't know to come back. And um, so we kind of we were saying, well, if we're going to change the name. We better do it soon. <laughs> we never did. You never did. So it, took, <laughs> it took on its own meaning. Ah, and then you recorded some of the musics that'll that'll stay around for hundreds of years to come. And uh, I hope so. Yeah. Oh, I think so, John. I think so. I mean, look at uh, "Dance with Me." Let there be music. Love takes time. Reach and still the one. And oh my goodness, come on! Those are American iconic songs that. Um, we're still hearing, and not for nothing, my kid goes to college, and those kids now are listening to mu- music from the 70s and 80s. They know all the words to every 70s and 80s songs. And yeah, it's, well, interesting yeah. phenomenon, you know. It's, um, yeah. They grow up with it. Um, I think that it's accessible in a way, and melodic in a way, that some of the music they made today isn't. But that's my own old fogey. Attitude. <laughs> right, 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 right. And you also um, have done so much work um, to help the betterment of humankind um, as far as your activism is concerned. When did all of that start for you? I know you were active in Socrates and, 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 and founded some organizations. Tell me about when all of that started, or was it always there? Well, I was, I was uh, thinking the other day about when I was living in Johanna and I were still living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and uh, I was playing in Kangaroo, or maybe it was a little bit after uh, that band broke up, I uh, took part in the benefit for uh, victims of the, the famine in Biafra, Africa. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, many famines ago. Uh, but uh, there was at St. Mark's Church, Church on uh, 2nd Avenue in in the village, in East Village, there was this benefit that I know Joan Baez played it, and I know Hendrix played it, and uh, and I did a few songs, and uh, it was uh, that's the first one I remember mm-hmm. that was a benefit concert for a cause, and then um, you know there were a series of others. The ones that really kind of changed me were um, getting involved with the No Nukes uh, movement and. Uh, my next door neighbor, Jan Asquith, who had served in Vietnam and came back injured, but but very capable mm-hmm. and um, serious guy, you know, uh, fun guy, but also serious guy. He came over one day with a stack of paperwork and said, you know about this nuclear plant in Cementon on the West Bank of the Hudson, about six miles north of Saugerties. Um And I said, no. And he said, read this. And 
he was the kind of guy when he said read it, I did. And um, I wound up going to hearings with him, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission of the federal government and the New York State Power Authority of the state government were having these joint sessions and and hearings uh, to take public comment, supposedly. But I came to the conclusion pretty quickly that they uh, were not listening to the public comment because they'd already spent $150 million of ratepayer and taxpayer money mm. uh, buying the property, putting in the meteorological testing tower uh, and the roads and the surveying stakes for where the reactor was going to be, and also contracting with Babcock and Wilcox uh, for the nuclear plant itself and putting down a pretty pretty large deposit on it. it was, we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of commitment mm. when they supposedly hadn't gotten a permit yet and, you know, were listening to what the public had to say. Mm. So uh, I came home from one of those hearings kind of depressed, and in the middle of the night, uh, Johanna and, and her daughter were sound asleep, and I went downstairs unable to sleep. I went downstairs and sang, Just give me the warm power of the sun. Mm. Give me the steady flow of the waterfall. I sang the chorus of power. Give me the restless power of the wind. You know, it was, just, it was all about alternative energy, right. renewable energy. And uh, and then I could go to sleep. Mm. And uh, Johanna and I wrote the verse the next day. And, you know, and that was the first, you know, I started to really connect into not just environmental stuff, but in this case, uh, safe energy, yeah. um, anti-nuclear, but also very pro uh, renewable energy, and uh, was involved with a group called Mid-Hudson Nuclear Opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of folks were based in Poughkeepsie and Kingston and you know, up and down the valley. Yeah. And uh, uh, we did we did fundraisers for them and uh, and then a, uh, a concert for the Karen Silkwood Fund. Anybody who's seen that movie Silkwood or, or read about Karen Silkwood would know uh, who she is and and uh, so we did a fundraiser, I think it was the Palladium in New York, with uh, Jackson Brown and, and Bonnie Raid, and um, I think James Taylor and Carly Simon were there, and um, Jesse Cohen Young, and, you know, so on. And, and it was very successful, sold, sold out fundraiser. And after the show, we were all sitting around going, now what? And I said, let's call everybody we know and go to Madison Square Garden. And we did. And wow wound up, you know, selling the first night out really fast and added another five nights and wow. and including a couple nights with Bruce Springsteen, uh, you know, with Crosby Sills and Nash, with Tom Petty, with you know, a lot of a lot of other folks added to the original contingent. And um, so that was how the whole Nanus concerts happened and uh, and the movie and the record that came out of it. Right, right. And that was five nights at the garden? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and you I have also a gold ticket. Yeah, I have a gold ticket from Madison Square Garden for selling a hundred thousand seats. Wow! Um, I think we, I think we all. I mean, the four original members of the uh, the board members of Muse Musicians United for Safe Energy were Jackson Brown, Graham Nash, Bonnie, and myself. And uh, I think we each got one of those. The golden ticket, you know, like Willy I, Wonka. I wish I could say it was for playing basketball. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but it wasn't. It wasn't. But it was for a very, very, very important cause. You also served uh, one term in the Ulster County Legislature and elected twice to the Saugerties Board of Education. What made you decide to run for Congress? Um, well, uh, I had moved to Nashville, which I've done a couple of times. Like I'm calling you from Nashville now. Um and uh, we always were sort of out and back, uh, Johanna and I in Orleans, and, you know, different projects I work on. Uh, you know, some of them we did in L.A., some in Nashville, some in Muscle Shoals for our first album. We, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so I moved to the east side of the river and uh, to Dutchess County. And, and one of the first things I thought when I, when I was unpacking boxes and settle in was like, gee, I wonder who my congressperson is, because I had, uh, when I was in Ulster County, had Maurice Hinchy, uh-huh. who was just, just a wonderful congressman, yeah. and and also one of my mentors in the political world, and, and a, uh, uh, 
a really good guy, and you know, his, his family are important to me, and and uh, I, uh, including State Senator Michelle Hinchy, yeah. and uh, now State Senator, and uh, I remember when she was in a little stuffed in a little snow snowsuit. Oh, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I just I found out that it was Sue Kelly who was rep- representing me, mm-hmm. and I looked into her and found out she had voted for the war in Iraq, and she'd voted for uh, drilling in, for oil in the Alaska Wildlife Preserve, mm-hmm. and uh, a few other things that I didn't agree with, and this was, you know, coming up on, it was 2004, 2005, and I thought, well, I'll find out who's running, and there were already four other people running in the Democratic primary, and I... I uh, met with each of them over coffee or breakfast or something and lunch and figured that I would decide who to support. And after those meetings, I came to the conclusion that I might be a better candidate and a better member of Congress if I did get elected. Mm. I didn't expect to, I didn't expect at that point to be elected. I expected to make uh, the other side spend money in this race so that someone somewhere else in the country would get elected um, who I agreed with more, but um, but as it turned out, I uh, you won. Uh, I I did win. I think I was underestimated. You know when I ran for county legislature and um, and for Congress. So so were you surprised uh, when you won that first election? Uh, no, I mean yes, I was surprised and I was pleased, but I but I knew we were doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I knew we were doing well was because some really dirty negative advertising came out in the last few days before the election um, attacking me. And uh, they don't generally do that unless they're behind. Right. And so I, you know, and I had uh, a guy named Joe Trippi who was uh, a campaign manager for Howard Dean back when he was running. And um, and Joe had kind of volunteered, come out of nowhere, up from Virginia uh to offer to manage my campaign and to run the advertising and so on. And and he called me Sunday before the election. He said, don't respond to any negative attacks. Just keep talking about um, what you want to do, yep. positive things about what you want to do if you're in there, and uh, and you'll win. And, and it turns out he was right. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And then tell me about your first time walking into the Capitol <laughs> and your little office, it must have felt surreal. What, 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 was, what was going through your mind? Um, well, I, it's what they call drinking from a fire hose. I had a lot to learn <laughs> in a short time. I went to orientation um, one week in uh, D.C., uh, one week in uh, Virginia at a, a Democratic uh, caucus meeting where all the new members of Congress uh, got uh a big, quick education in different topics. Um, and uh, I forget where the third week was, maybe New York. And um, it was uh, it's just an awful lot to learn. You have to staff, step up. I'm, I wound up with uh, 22 members wow. of my staff, count, counting a couple of interns. Uh, but, you know, you have a budget to put an office together. And I had, I had two offices in the district, one west of the Hudson, one east, um, and, uh, and one in D.C., and... You know, had to have staff that interface with my constituents right. up up in the district, and in Goshen was one, and and in uh, um, and Putnam County was was the other, and uh, and in D.C. was the staff that would do legislation uh-huh. and work on you know finding out what's behind every bill bill that I may have to vote on, or helping me to draw up the bills I wanted to propose, and. Um, I was fortunate to get Jean Borderwick, who was a, a Red Hook resident, who had before that been uh, Chuck Schumer's uh, state uh, uh, district uh, uh, staff, uh, chief of staff. Yeah. And so she was my uh, chief of staff in D.C. for the first term. And then uh, Susan Spear, who, who's, uh, who lives in uh, Putnam County, Putt Valley, I believe. Now she uh, she was my second term chief of staff, but really, really capable people mm-hmm. who could bring me, instead of my having to go through hundreds of resumes right. uh, for the other positions, they would go through and say, here's what we think are the top 10 applicants, you know, and here's why. 
and then I would sort through it with them, and maybe we'd actually interview three. Mm-hmm. And it, it really helps to have people who know what they're oh. what they're doing. I mean, that veterans bill that I uh, was the prime author of, and uh, that that passed unanimously, both the House and the Senate. Um, that doesn't happen much anymore. Unfortunately, not. But but I think it could. I think there needs to be a serious effort on both parties' yes. sides to uh, to look for common ground. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think with the infrastructure bill, it happened. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be a, more of an effort made in that direction. But but anyway, the, you know, one thing that was left out of that bill was uh, a piece that dealt with PTSD that said that um, if you were, <clears throat> if you went to, uh, at the time it was Afghanistan or Iraq, and you had four limbs and you came back with three or two, or if you went over there, uh, uninjured and came back with a traumatic brain injury or uh, terrible PTSD that um, that uh, it would be presumed that your service caused the injury. And the bill that passed actually was signed into law was uh, did that. It did all of that for the physical injuries, for the traumatic brain injury, for the amputations or, you know, losses of limbs, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, the PTSD piece had to be left out because my ranking member, Doug Lamborn, for Colorado, uh, didn't want it in the bill and threatened to vote against the bill, which meant that all of his, his Republican members on the committee, uh, the subcommittee for Dis- veterans' disabilities, would also vote against it, and it probably wouldn't be bipartisan on the floor of the House either. Right. So I dropped the PTSD piece, um, and then after... Uh, the 2008 election, you know, everybody was sworn in January 2009, which meant President Barack Obama. Um, there was a, a reception for uh, my classmates from 2006 at the White House, and supposedly we were just meeting with uh, uh, Ron Emanuel, who was Barack's chief of staff at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, my legislative director uh, suggested that I bring a copy of my PTSD bill. I had re- reintroduced this piece as a standalone bill, uh, so that veterans who went, you know, sane to these battlefields in Af- Afghanistan and Iraq and came back, you know, unable to function because of their PTSD, uh, would be presumed that that would be a service-related injury that should be compensated for. And um, so I, he said, bring your standalone bill with you. And he gave me a copy. Actually, he gave me two copies. And he said, you never know when you go to the White House if you're going to see the president. So, so I, I go, and I've got it in my suit pocket, and inside pocket I've got this bill. And we're sitting in a conference room. I think we had lunch with Rahm Emanuel, and, and we're partway through the lunch, and the door opens, and then comes President Obama. Oh. And he walks around the table, and he's shaking hands and saying, congratulations on your victory in the election in November. And, uh, you know, he as he's coming closer to me, he's saying, if there's everything, anything I can do to help, anything I can do to help you, please let me know. <laughs> well, and so, as a matter so of fact. I stood up to shake his, <laughs> I said, I stood up, stood up to shake his hand. I said, as a matter of fact, Mr. President, I have this bill, <laughs> and I explained what it would do, that it would take, you know, would make PTSD a service-related, automatic service-related injury. Um, and he's, he took it from me and gave, gave one copy to Ron. <laughs> He said, we will work with you on this. This is very important to Michelle and me. Wow. And a few weeks later, I learned that he was going to do it with an executive order. So with a stroke of his pen, he did what would have taken for me, um, you know, finding an offset, either a new tax or a fee to pay for it, or uh, reduction funding somewhere else in the budget, which is hard to do. This was Something most people don't know, when the Democrats were in the majority, when I was there, and uh, Democrats were in the majority, we had a pay-as-you-go uh, rule where you couldn't even get a bill to the floor of the House unless it was paid for. You had to either have an offset uh-huh. uh, somewhere else in the budget, uh-huh. or you had to new, have a new revenue source. And so um, it, it was hard, actually, to get things funded. Uh Without raising, I mean, we, we're trying not to raise the national debt or the deficit. Right. And uh, it's funny how that went away when 
Republicans uh, took the majority again. Right, and but, now they're worried um, about the debt again. So, yeah. Of course. Yeah. But, yeah. but I, um, I, I'm just really glad that, you know, by a stroke of his pen, uh, yeah. the president was able to do that so that I didn't have to go find those offsets and so on. Well, and John, you, done, you, you, you impacted many lives um, by doing that and having that in your pocket at the right time and, and just the circumstance on which that happened, you affected countless lives. So I think right, my staff. Yeah, and <laughs> your staff. staff well, uh, right. Having the right staff, I was saying, is so important. It is, yeah. If I didn't have somebody there saying, take your bill with you, you wouldn't you have done never it. know how many times you'll get a chance right. You know, right. to present it. So. Right. Right. So yeah, it's uh it's it's an incredible uh the whole thing I you know I wouldn't trade for anything. I, I you know, it's difficult, it's a really hard job. Yes. I was I figured thirteen hours a day, seven days a week was the hours I was working. And um you know, if you're conscientious about it, that's really full time job, but but a very important one. A very important one. And thank you for all you've done in your activism all these years and all the lives you've helped by all of that. So seriously, thank you. Thank you. Not everybody steps up to the plate the way that you did. So, and do. Um, so thank you for all of that. And, um, yeah. I, uh, and it's so cool you know, that you my have. music, by the way, is music, by the way, is not all political. No, <laughs> no, it definitely more... is not. Right, right. Yeah. Right. No. And and how exciting, though, how many people can say this 50 years now? It's your 50th anniversary with Orleans. You guys are, are touring a little or what's going on with? Uh... Yeah, we're playing this week in um, Friday night. We're playing at a casino, the Soaring Eagle Casino in uh, Mount Pleasant, Michigan. With air uh, supply. Then, uh, with air supply. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've been doing since last June. I mean, we shut down for all of 2020. Right. Like most artists did, and uh, the venues were all shut down too. So, but we started touring again and performing in January, in uh, June of 2021, and we've been working weekends since then. Yeah, um, and you've also released a really cool Christmas album. I played that quite a few <laughs> times here. Um, oh, good. The first Christmas albums ever reco- uh, released by Orleans, so that was nice. You were busy during the pandemic because you also released a solo, Reclaiming My Time. So your creativity must have still been flowing because you've released a lot since the pandemic began. Yeah, I, I found it a very uh, fertile time. I mean, it's... Uh, I thought when it first started out, like, what are you going to do? I'll be bored, right? You know, sitting around, uh, not going anywhere. And but it turns out that, uh, you know, it was very conducive to writing songs and to uh, recording them. And thanks to the technology available today, yes, everybody can, you know, with a computer and the right software, can record at home and, yeah, yeah. and a good microphone. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, a lot of the songs on reclaiming my time and on the Orleans Christmas record. Uh, the, the players and singers were in different cities in different states mm-hmm. uh, and recorded themselves uh, to the track that everybody else was recording to and uh, emailed in the digital files of their part and our engineer uh, mixed them together and made it sound like we were all in the same place. It's, it's I mean, amazing. actually, in the, video, in the video Save the Monarch, Dar is on her back porch <laughs> yeah. in the Hudson Valley. Yeah. And I'm here, and I was here in Nashville in front of a green screen that uh, Rob Arthur had set up so he could superimpose uh, behind me all those incredible pictures of, of butterflies and bees and condors and yeah, so it's so beautiful. Again, listeners, we're talking with John Hall. Save the Monarch just was released on, went live yesterday on on YouTube. Um, beautiful. It's just to highly recommend. I also shared it on the Local Motion Facebook page, so people can check right, that out. You. And John, you, of course, on uh, your website, johnhallmusic.com, and also orleansonline.com, and YouTube, and all of those good things where we can find you. Now, Orleans, if I'm seeing it correctly, is also going to be playing in Peekskill in May at the Paramount That's Theater. Correct. 
And you'll also be March 27th in Connecticut. You'll be in North Tonawanda, New York on the 26th. So you definitely have some dates, you know, coming up here in the Hudson Valley, as well as kind of in the Midwest. I know you've got Indiana coming up and all of that. Orleans Online, 50th anniversary. I mean, that's definitely something to celebrate for sure. So um, I hope you guys have fun when you go out and play. And this weekend, too. How much fun, right? So it'll be it'll be fun and uh we're actually working on our 50th anniversary album so perfect we'll get that out this year oh i hope so too i hope so too that's so wonderful that's so great well i'm going to play a couple of tracks of um of your music now and i just want to say thank you again for the work that you've done for humankind here and also for the music that you've provided all these years welcome and um and and, uh, thank you to all your listeners for for listening and, and for supporting you and, and local motion as well as well, listening to this uh, to this time we've been speaking and and listening to the music. Yeah, you know? yeah, and that's that's the uniting force. No matter what affiliations you have, music unites us all, right? So let's right. let's play some of that. Thank you again, John, for your time here today. It's always an honor. It's a pleasure. Um, stay safe, travel well, and um, I hope to catch you at an Orleans show sometime this year. Excellent. All right, John. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 91.3 WVKR Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. We're going to play another tune by Orleans and then play some of John's solo work, John Hall. Let's take a listen right here, right now. You'll know this one. I promise you will. Orleans.
91.3 WVKR Orleans, still the one. John Hall, today's guest on Local Motion. If you missed that interview and conversation, you can check out the Local Motion YouTube page. Just subscribe to Local Motion or the Facebook page, and I'll be uploading that interview with John tonight. I'm going to spin another tune or two, but first it's time for Musical Happenings. This is what's happening in and around the Hudson Valley. Alphabetical order, all venues meant have COVID safety protocols in place. Please check each one individually before you go. Bardavon and UPAC and Bardavon.org. February 20th, Anise Mitchell. March 5th, Hudson Valley Philharmonic. March 6th, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Bearsville Theater in Woodstock, also BearsvilleTheater.com. February 26th, comedian Pete Corrali. Colony in Woodstock, also colonywoodstock.com. They're on winter break through January 26th, reopening January 27th with Mark Black. January 30, Studio Stew's Biggish Band. At the Falcon in Marlboro and live at thefalcon.com. Closed for uh, just closed and reopening February 17th with v- v- uh, Willa Vincitor and Friends. February 18th, Reelin' in the Years. February 19th, Jim Campolongo. February 20th, Don Byron Quartet. At the Fisher Center at Bard College. Info at fishercenter.bard.edu. January 28th, The Orchestra Now. Howland Chamber Music Circle at the Howland Cultural Center in Beacon this Sunday, January 23rd, pianist Roman Rabanovich. At Jazz Forum in Tarrytown, also jazzforumarts.org, this Friday, January 21 and 22, Willie Jones III Quintet. Levon Helm Studios in Woodstock, also levonhelm.com, February 13. Darling Slide, February 19, Joe Purdy, February 25, Stephen Bernstein's Millennial Territory Orchestra with guest Catherine Russell. Last but not least, the Town Crier in Beacon and towncrier.com. Every Thursday is an open mic. Friday on the salon stage, Denny Bonet. Friday on the main stage featuring Strange Magic NY, an ELO tribute band. Saturday, Mark Black on the Salon Stage. Saturday on the Main Stage featuring The Joni Project, a tribute to Joni Mitchell. Sunday Brunch with Dan Stevens and the Sunday Showcase on the Salon Stage on Sunday. And that's what we've got, folks, for live music. Again, thank you to John Hall for being a guest today. I will return next Wednesday, here every Wednesday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Local Motion. Next week, my guest will be Cindy Cashdollar. In on two weeks, on the second, Willa Vincitor. Also, just confirmed, Willie Nile will be my guest on February 9th, February 16th, with the one and only trumpeteer Stephen Bernstein and Professor Louie on the 23rd. So we've got a great month of February ahead and uh, stay tuned for all kinds of wonderful things. So in the meantime, now let me play another track off John Hall's latest solo release called Reclaiming My Time. This is track number one from that. And uh, stay tuned for Dr. J with Irie Groove coming up at the top of the hour. I'll be back again next Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and thanks for reaching out. Always nice to hear from y'all. Until next time, I wish you peace.